0: All right, my friends, ladies, and gentlemen, welcome to a daily Power Parsha Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. And we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Mitzvah. I say middle, we just started yesterday. The Torah portion of Mitzvah, which talks about the healing process, how to heal from Tzoraz, how do we get out of that situation? In a healthy way. So yesterday, we kind of uh, tracked the ritual. So essentially, like this: a person discovers some sort of discoloration on the skin or under the hair, whatever it was. All of that stuff was last week. Then he goes to the kohen or she presents that discoloration to the kohen. The kohen diagnoses it or kohen assesses it and then renders a decision. Either it is not; it's it negative which means it's not tzerahs, in which case, all is good. Just use some skin cream on that. Or, hopefully not, but conversely, the other option would be that the Kohen would say, You're, you tested positive, you got tzerahs, you've, you've got that spiritual malady. In which case, the person would have to leave the, um, the residential area. Back in Back in ancient times, when the Jews were... Traveling throughout the desert, that would mean leaving all three camps, the camp of the Shekinah where the Mishkan was, the Levite camp, which was encircling the tabernacle, and then even the Israelite camp, where all the 12 tribes dwelt. This person would be banished, if you will, or not if you will, but banished straight up outside all three camps, kind of badad, alone. Obviously, Obviously, living in a desert, got to be safety first, so I'm sure there was a mechanism for ensuring the safety of this person, and not that they're that vulnerable and living out in the elements. Um, But with that, with whatever safety and, you know, reasonable uh, um, uh, conditions that were set up, they were to live, to dwell alone until they healed. When they healed, they called the Kohen, the Kohen took, took a look at it. Yes, it's healed. Immediately, there's a ritual involving two birds one which is slaughtered, one which is sent away. Yesterday, we saw Rashi. Rashi explains why the birds for this ritual, because birds chatter, they tweet a lot, they do a lot of twittering, and the message was, at least the, the, the way that I framed it is, that speech, right, Spe- speech is like chatter, the mess- and we're supposed to use our speech for holy things, for helpful things, for building things for constructive purposes and not, God forbid, for negative, destructive purposes. So one bird is slaughtered. One bird is set free. There are speech, types of speech that need to be ended. No more. Cut the conversation, right? We spoke yesterday about how to get out of a conversation that's unhealthy. Let's cut the Slaughter that conversation. I don't mean literally, obviously, but like end that conversation. Get out of there. That's one bird. The other bird, that's the bird that soars free. That's the healthy speech patterns, the healthy conversation that needs to flourish, that we should invest in. So take out the passion, that's the blood letting, the letting, letting out of the blood, let go of the passion or let the passion out of the unhealthy talk, and put the passion in the healthy talk. Then after that point, the person was able to resume living back in the community, but not resume intimate relations. Uh, For seven days, after seven days, they are to, um, what did the Torah say? After seven days, they are to shave off all of their hair, at least their visible hair. And then there is, and they go to mikvah, and then on the eighth day, there was a protocol for offerings. Two unblemished male lambs, one unblemished ewe lamb, three-tenths of an eighth of fine flour, mixed with olive oil as a meal offering, and one log of olive oil oil. And that's how we ended yesterday's reading, discussing the offerings that are brought on this eighth day of purification for the Mitzorah, for the individual who has just healed or is in the healing process from tzaras. We talked about the last verse of, of the reading yesterday. I'm going to share it right here. So let's just pull it up. Um, the last verse was, the coin shall take one male lamb and bring it as a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them as a waving before the Lord. Let's continue. This is reading number 2, chapter number 14 of Leviticus. Mitzorah is the Torah portion, chapter 14, verse 13. Here we go. He shall slaughter the lamb in the place where one slaughters the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. That means between the altar and the tabernacle building or the, or the, the tent of meeting or the kodesh, the holy space. Um, for regarding the Kohen service, the guilt offering is like the sin offering. It is a holy of holies. In other words, in this case, it's not an accidental sin offering. It's a guilt offering. This guy or this man or woman spoke maliciously about someone else. Lashon hara, gatsaras, is now healing from it. But that's a guilt offering. That's not a sin offering. Sin offering is a, you didn't intend to do it. This is straight up a guilt offering. There was guilt here. Um... So it's done in the same place as the sin offering and the burnt offering. And for all other intents and purposes, it is a holy of holies, which means that you have to eat it in the, in the tabernacle or in the, in, in the temple area. And it can only be eaten for one day and one night. It has to be burned. Leftovers have to be burnt the next morning, etc. All right, let's continue. The Kohen shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering. And the Kohen shall place, place it above the cartilage of the right ear of the person being cleansed. Oh, look at that. So the blood of the guilt offering is placed in the cartilage of the right ear of the person being cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. We had that once before, if you recall. Placing the blood in the ear, the thumb, and the big toe. That was in the inauguration of the Kohen. When Moses was inaugurating the Kohanim, and the priests, there was blood put on the ear, thumb, and toe. And in this case, the Mitzorah, there's a similar ritual. There's got to be a connection there. You know, I'm sure we can come up with a connection. I'm sure someone's, someone's already written about this. But it is interesting that if I'm not mistaken, so far, at least in Torah so far, the only two instances where you put the blood, not sprinkling, you do a lot of sprinkling on the altar, toward the altar, there's a lot of sprinkling that happens but specifically on the ear, thumb, and toe, a Kohen, who's getting inaugurated, and the Mitsora who's trying to resume normal life. There's a message there, which you know, maybe we'll even unpack today, if we can all think about that. All right, let's continue. The Kohen shall then take, and the Kohen shall take some of the log of oil and pour it onto the Kohen's left palm. Okay, so take some of the oil, left palm. The Kohen shall then dip his right index finger into some of the oil that is on his left palm, and sprinkle some of the oil with his index finger seven times before the Lord. Okay? Pour some oil in the hand. No one said that being a Kohen is not a messy job. Just saying. Right? Pour some of the oil in his palm, puts his right finger, and then sprinkles it. By the way, in sprinkling, I'm going to stop sharing for a second so you can see my... Sprinkle options. There's two ways to sprinkle, at least the way that I know. One way is you dip the finger in and then you go the old right? You sprinkle like that. You with me? The old flick sprinkle. The other way is you dip the finger in and then you you just wave it. You just like you with me on that? You just like dip it in and go. You don't have to make the sound effect.
1: That's what we that's what my mother did.
0: Like this way, overhand.
1: No, like this, like the wine, like dip in the, you know, pass over.
0: And then just
1: dip it one finger in the wine, then same finger just on the plate.
0: Okay, but hold on. But the language here, I hear you. Uh-huh. The language here is sprinkle. Oh, could be sprinkle. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah.
1: I sprinkle on the little plate.
0: Yeah, you can do a little sprinkle like that. Yeah, a little like little sprinkle like that. So you can go like this. Right? This, you can go this, you can go this. So many options. How did they actually.
1: So I'll
0: tell you, it's interesting. On Yom Kippur, uh, in the prayers, in the prayer service, we actually read this. It says, uh, Do I have a maxer here? Why would I have one here? High Holiday Prayer Book? No, I don't. But if I had a, a High Holiday Prayer Book, it says that the Kohen did not sprinkle, I believe he didn't sprinkle the, at least for Yom Kippur. I don't, this is oil for a There's This is a bit of a different uh, scenario. But on Yom Kippur, right, when he was sprinkling the blood of whatever offering it was, so he, I don't, I think he didn't, specifically did not do the the flick sprinkle, sprinkle, but rather he dipped this and then waved it like a, it says like a whip. Um, um, one time.
1: That's not sprinkling, it's spreading it out. You know, it's like,
0: throwing it throwing yeah well sprinkling at a distance like a one second huh if, if the question is can the word sprinkle be used I'm gonna say yes because there are literally okay. products called sprinklers in which they don't just drip it translation
1: right it might be lost in...
0: that's everything. right I believe that uh, let's see let's see the Hebrew here because you' you're, you're right Oh, vihiza vihiza sprinkle Okay, we would have to look, look at more depth, and I'm sure it's discussed somewhere. But on Yom Kippur, actually it was done, like I think, once upward and then seven times downward. So there were really both motions that were done, but none of them were the, the flicking motion. So anyway, some, some, uh, some uh, food for thought, or at least some oil for sprinkling. All right, here we go. Jump, jumping back in. Um, And some of the remainder, oh, look at this, some of the remainder of the oil that is in his his palm, the Cohen shall place on, yes, you guessed it, the cartilage of the right ear of the person being cleansed and the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. Right, look at this. Blood was applied to the ear, thumb, and toe, and then on top of that blood, some oil. Man, oh man, it was not easy to have tzaras. You're banished out of the camp, then you come back, or before you come back, you have to do the ritual with the birds and have that bloody water sprinkled on you, and then you have to shave all your hair, and then you have to come back in and wait seven days before coming back into the house, so to speak, and then you bring offerings on that eighth day, and, and, and then there's just blood and oil just put on you in various places. You know what the moral of the story is? Very simple. Don't speak lush and Hara. Simple. You don't want to, You don't want this? You don't want to go through this? There's, a, there's an app for that. Just use the two gates, the lips and the teeth. And don't let that tongue say things that it should not say. Alright, if only it was as easy done as said, or said as done, etc. Alright, back inside. And what is left over? Uh, there we go, keeps on going. And what is left over from the oil that is in the cohen's palm, this is the third time, he shall place upon the head of the person being cleansed. There you go. And the cohen shall effect atonement for him before the Lord. So again, three things were done with the oil. He takes some of the oil, pours it into the palm of his the Kohen, the palm of his hand. Some of it is sprinkled. We don't know how. Some of it is sprinkled. Some of it is applied to the ear, thumb, and big toe of the dude that needs to be cleansed. And the rest, the rest of the oil, he applies to the head of the person being cleansed. And thus, the coin affects atonement for him before the Lord. Let's continue. The Kohen shall then perform the service of the sin offering and effect atonement for the person being cleansed of his uncleanness. After this, He shall slaughter the burnt offering. There was a guilt offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering. Remember, there were multiple animals that he had to bring on this eighth day. One as a guilt offering, one as a sin offering, one as a burnt offering. And the Kohen shall bring up the burnt offering and the meal offering to the altar. Those were burnt. The Kohen shall thus effect atonement for him, and he shall be clean. As the brackets add, completely clean. In other words, that's the end of the ritual. All right, we're going to go into the third reading. We're going to advance, but first, let's take a look at Rashi. Okay, here we go. Um, One second. Okay, I'm just looking to see if we have something that... Okay, let's take a look. It is to the Kohen. In all of the procedures of the holy service performed by the Kohen, this guilt offering is likened to a sin offering. This is specified so that one should not say that since the blood of this guilt offering is unlike that of other guilt offerings, insofar as it is placed on the cartilage of the ear and on the thumb and the big toe, it should also be an exception that it should not require applications of blood and the prescribed fats upon the altar. Therefore, it is said regarding the service of the Kohen, the guilt offering is just like a sin offering, which means you also burn the, uh, apply the blood and burn the fats on the altar. However, if this is so, one might think that, that its blood is applied above the red line, demarcating the upper and lower parts of the altar, like the blood of the sin offering. Scripture therefore says, and this is the law of the guilt offering, where the term Torah law is an inclusive term coming here to include this special guilt offering, that its blood should be applied below the red line as, other, as with other guilt offerings, even though with other, in other aspects, in all other aspects, the sacrifice is similar to the sin offering. What we're learning here is something interesting, that when it comes to applying the blood on the altar, there was a distinction based on what type of offering it was. When it's a sin offering, it's above the line. If it's a guilt offering, it's below the line. So in this case, this offering on behalf of the Mitzorah, the one who has Saras, it's like a guilt offering. Well, in every respect, it's like a sin offering except for the application of the blood in where it's like a guilt offering and it goes below the line. So yes, there was a red line demarcating the upper and lower parts of the altar. There was a red line. Top half, bottom half. And certain bloods were sprinkled above and certain below. Let's continue. Um, where does it go on the ear? The middle wall of the ear. The middle wall of the ear. Um, what is the so rashes, the actual etymology of the term Tnuch is unknown to me, whether it's Hebrew or Aramaic, but the interpreters call it The tendron or tantrum. Okay. What is that? I don't know. But a part of the ear. The middle wall of the ear. Middle wall of the ear. Okay. Let's continue. Thumb. We did that. Okay. I mean, we know what that is at least. Absolutely. Fully meal offering. Okay. All right. I think we're ready for reading number three. Let's continue. Rabbi? Yes.
1: Rabbi? So... We spend so much time in this this portion, these days and weeks in this, about, you know, administering to the person that engages in gossip. But as you mentioned, you know, and that person, because that person kills three people, him or herself, the object of the gossip, and those those who listen. So does the Torah talk about the responsibility of the object of the gossip. It goes to what I was asking earlier. You know, right. how is that because like you always inspire in us to see the divine in everyone. So how do you see the divine in that person, the random person who didn't know you who did that thing that hurt you and your family? And how in general, you know, because we're all at one time or another, the object of gossip Right. You know, and sometimes it's it's deliberate to hurt us, you know? Yeah. And so how are we supposed to feel about those persons? And how can we have that divine Yeah.
0: It's, to it's, see it's the
1: divine in them? It's
0: a good question. I think it I think it touches on the core of um the core of the idea of Teshuva, which is it's a responsibility of the one that hurt the other, whether it's through action or words, to make amends. And to make it right by that person, so if somebody you know steals, so you can't just turn to God and say I'm sorry. You have to return the theft. That's the way it works in, in, in halacha. If a person commits any other grievance against the person again, whether physically or emotionally or psychologically or verbally, whatever it is, they have to they have to own up to it and and, and make it right. And as long as the the other party has not made it right. The victim is not required to forgive by Jewish law. So how do we view it? Look, we view it in in a complicated way. In the book of Tanya, he says that um, on the one hand, there is culpability, obviously, goes without saying. The one who who, who harms the other is certainly culpable. On the other hand, the person who is on the receiving end could, if they choose to, frame it as something that is, for whatever reason, had to happen to them and thus is intended, at least in their eyes, as a growth experience. So the question is now, how do I grow from this? It's possible. It's possible to frame it. A person can choose to frame, listen, we can choose to frame anything anyway, right? And any way that we choose. That's the power of the mind. So in Tanya, he encourages or he suggests and says that it might be helpful to frame it this way. Yes, The person did it, whoever did it, they have to face the music. But the fact that God allowed it to happen means that this was supposed to be part of my narrative, which means that there must be some positive here. There must be some lesson or some growth that can happen through this. Look, we we can't go back in time. Trust me. We'd all wish to go back in time. All of us, at some point or another, would love to get back into the DeLorean and get back before that pain, that painful episode. But life is such that we can't. And the question now is, so, so now what? Now what do we do? I mean, we can get stuck in the question why, and, and to ask the question why is a natural human response. But then there's getting stuck on that question why, which doesn't allow us to, to, to move or to grow. And I don't mean to forget about it, because the, the, we're not going to forget, and we, we shouldn't forget. The question is, how do we use that as a motivation or, a, or as a catalyst or whatever, however we choose to use it in a positive, but how can we do that? The answer is we can. I, I don't know if I can answer the word how. How? Because we're human beings that have creative minds and are very resilient. We have the capacity. So we have the capacity to do that. Tanya encourages us to choose that approach because the alternative is what? Blame, anger resentment, bitterness, despair, hopelessness, right? Depra- I mean, all of those are, 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 no one, there's, they're all valid responses. But if we're choosing from a box of responses, like I have my choice, what, what would I like to choose? Tanya, he says, I have a suggestion. Choose to somehow frame this or reframe this, even if it seems impossible so that you can become stronger and grow from this or through this or despite this and be, well, come out the other end a better person. And he encourages us to choose that, even though it seems like impossible. And um, you know, for some people, it helps to think how God is ultimately in control of everything. So if God allowed this to happen to me, then there must be some sort of positive or some sort of thing that I can take and move in a positive direction. That's one way to think about it. For some people, if they think about God in this experience, they might become angry at God. God, if you're, if you're really overseeing everything, how did you let it happen? And that might lead to a tailspin. So in that case, you know, you got it. I'm not saying you specifically, but one has to know who, how they're thinking to, to uh, you know, to frame it in the way that's going to be best for them. And might be a person who says, I don't want to frame, I just want to feel the pain. And that's also valid. Everything has its time. And we know now stages of grief, right? You go through different stages. We went through that. And I'm not trying to make this into a thing, but like there was a, a, a large chunk of Sunday was spent in denial. Like, no, it probably wasn't stolen. It probably, it's probably missing. It probably, he's like, no, they were in the car. Like, oh, no, you probably forgot. Let's check the school. Let's check your friend's house. Let's check this, let's check that. So you always go through that. And then it's like, you know, you, then you're angry and then this. But at some point, you know, the acceptance of, okay, well, this happened. So, I mean, I can get stuck in, in, in feeling and the feelings about it or we can, we can actually get out there and look for it or we can, you know, and, and, and on some level grow from it, you know, and that's, that's really, I think, what it comes down to. So that's a very long, long response to what you said, which I think is true, which is how do we view the person who, who harmed us? And I think that first and foremost, what I said initially is, is the first thing, which is they have a responsibility to make a right. Not you. They have a responsibility to make it right. Um, when that happens, hopefully there can be healing. If that never happens, we can still choose to frame it for ourselves. And to, and, to in, in, in a, in, and I'm saying in a positive way, but to somehow reframe it so that we can at least move, move past it or through it and come out the other end intact. We can choose that even if they na- never gave us that, that closure that we've been seeking. That's a choice. As, as you know, we've, we've, and I've mentioned this many times in different classes um, there's a prayer that we recite every night: Hareni Michael, behold, I hereby absolve, I forgive anyone who has angered or vexed me, etc, whether in this lifetime or another lifetime." It's a wild prayer. I don't know if there's any other prayer that I know that we talk about previous lifetimes, previous incarnations. I, I don't believe so. And yet, we, we let it go. Do we really let it go? That's a choice that we make. That's, everyone answers that question differently. Um, is it healthier to go to sleep at night and not be angry? Sure. Is it possible always? No. Should we try? I would say yes, but I can't. I'm not telling anyone what to do. I mean, it's, so Tanya, he suggests, you know, maybe meditate about this. If you meditate about how God is behind everything, then I can focus less on the perpetrator and more on myself and God. And, and, then, and then strengthen that to, 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 to be to, for my own health, my own psychological, spiritual, uh, my own spiritual, psychological, em, uh, emotional, and physical health. It's good for me. So that person is a lowlife. Okay, they have to deal with that. I, I can grow. I can. I can heal. That's what he suggests. I. I personally think it's a. It's an incredibly healthy place to get to, or at least to strive to get to. Are we going to get there always? Maybe. Why well, I said always? Ah, uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not always, but on some level, it's. Uh, it's. 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 definitely a. A, a place that we can strive. Thank you. Sure. Third reading of Leviticus 14, verse 21. Here we have another instance where the Torah recognizes the financial limitations of individuals and gives another option for the offerings. But if he is poor, and we're referring to the one who was afflicted with Saras, if he's poor and cannot afford these sacrifices, there's a lot of them. So he shall take one male lamb as a guilt offering for a waving to effect atonement for him. And one-tenth of an apha of fine flour mixed with oil as a meal offering and a log of oil. So there is an animal. There is a male lamb. But then there is fat flour. And then to replace the other animals, we have birds. And two turtle doves or two young doves, according to what he can afford, one shall be a sin offering and one a burnt offering. So again, just the same formula. There's a guilt offering. A sin offering and a burnt offering. Instead of three animals, you have an animal and two birds. Okay, so it's a little bit less expensive. For tallying up the cost, this is a cheaper alternative. And he, the person who had the Tsaras, shall bring them on the eighth day of his cleansing to the Kohen, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the Kohen shall take the guilt-offering lamb and the log of oil, and the Kohen shall wave them as a waving before the Lord. He waved them, lifted it up, up, down, right, left, forward, back, all six directions. And he shall slaughter the guilt-offering lamb, and the Kohen shall take some of the blood of the guilt offerings. Uh, why is it possessive? I don't know. And place it on the cartilage of the right ear the person being cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So you're going to encounter, we're all going to encounter right now, similar verses that we just had. It's the same protocol, just with different, instead of three animals, it's an animal and two birds. Similar, similar concept. You take some of the blood of the guilt offering lamb. You put on the cartilage. Uh, you put it on the ear, thumb, and big toe of the guy being cleansed. And the kohen shall then pour some of the oil into the left palm of the kohen into his hand. And the kohen shall sprinkle with his right finger. Again, sprinkle. Yeah, how that's done? We talked about before. With his right index finger, some of the oil that is in the left palm, seven times. Seven times before the Lord. And the coin shall place some of the oil that is in his palm, on the cartilage of the right ear of the person being cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the place of the blood of the guilt offering. So you put blood and then oil on the guy's ear, thumb, and toe. And what is left over from the oil that is in the coin's palm? You guessed it. Same as before. He shall place upon the head of the person being cleansed to effect atonement for him before the Lord. Now, what about the birds? So all that is identical. Then he shall perform the service of one of the turtle doves, tur- or young doves, from whatever he can afford. From what he can afford, one, is, one of these birds is brought as a sin offering and one is brought as a burnt offering. And that is besides the meal offering and the Kohen shall affect atonement for the person being cleansed before the Lord. This, the Torah says, to sum up, this is a summary verse, this is the law of one in whom there is a lesion of Tsarat. Who cannot afford the full array of sacrifices when he is to be cleansed? I don't know if he can't afford the full array of sacrifices. He can't afford the animals. He can afford. You're still getting your guilt, sin, and burnt offerings. It's just instead of three big animals, each with a hefty price tag, you're only one animal and two birds. It's cheaper. You pay by weight. No, I'm kidding. An animal's are more expensive. On the I mean, how much would it cost? Think about it. You want to buy a cow. I mean, I don't know. I've never, I've never priced out a cow. How much? A cow? It's probably a few hundred dollars, if not more. Right? For sure. 500, 1,000, 2005. I don't know. Cows are expensive. You would think. Um, a chicken?
1: You know, they mock it up from whatever the resale value, you know, whatever. You know, they back, backtrack the calculation.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm actually going to Google this. How much <laughs> does a cow cost? Well, you, like, you should
1: say kosher. No, the cow is not kosher. Oh,
0: take a look. Take a look. Oh, wait, I don't even know what this means. Um, slaughter cows, hey, these would be slaughter cows. Yeah. It's not like a pet. Slaughter cows are expected to have an average, expected to average $50 per hundred weight.
1: Hundred pounds?
0: I don't even know what that means. Hundred. What's a hundred weight? Hundred pounds? Every 100 pounds is, is, oh wait, while 550 pound steers and 520 pound heifers are expected to average 145 to 130 per hundred weight. Okay, so let's just do 100. Um, and let's say, oh, I see what's going on here. I don't see what's going on here. I thought I saw what's going on here. 520 heifers, So 500, anyway.
1: They sell the cows at the state fairs. You know, they have the auctions. I didn't know that. Okay, here we go. I found
0: another website because that was the first result that's just making me do math, and I don't appreciate that. So, um, generally, a cow costs between $2,200 and $5,300 per cow. It depends okay. on its weight, gender, and breed. Yearlings sell for between 850 and 1550 I guess yearlings would be young cows. Well, these would be yearlings because these were in the first year. Okay, so these would be on the, on the less expensive side. But again, just to put things in context, the reason why I'm saying this is because a cow is going to run you, an animal It's going to cost you several hundred dollars. A chicken, five bucks. Five bucks! How do I know this? I don't know this. But I can't imagine it's more than five, ten bucks for a chicken. I, I, just, I, don't, I just don't see it being an expensive thing. So how much is a dove, a turtle dove? Probably not expensive. I know that no one mentioned chicken here. And I'm sorry for, like, throwing us off the plot here. Chicken, I don't see that as an option for the man who couldn't afford the offering. Where was chicken? I didn't see that. I know, there wasn't chicken. It was turtle doves or doves. But whatever. It also can't be that expensive. Again, this is my unprofessional opinion. Back in the day... You know, there was a whole, I'm sure, cottage industry supplying animals for the temple. So I'm sure they, they worked at a bulk rate or something. You know, like things were plenty.
1: On the roof, it was like the opening song. You know, it was a cow. It was a this. It was a that. It was
0: a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were animals, right? So, <laughs> so chickens were... I'm not chickens. i still going with the chickens. But birds would be cheaper. All right. Now, let's get back inside because I want to do some... Have you
1: picked the summer movies?
0: Not yet. Not yet. We're gonna we're gonna look, be looking at that in in a little bit okay here we go um one second all right yeah i mean rashi's just clarifying the eighth day means after the whole bird the original birds and cedar hyssop and crimson wool thing we got that um it should go on the place of the blood. You put the oil on the place of the blood of the guilt offering on his ear, thumb, and, and, and toe. Rashi says something interesting. Even if the blood had been wiped off, this teaches us that the blood is not the determining factor, but the place is the determining factor. It doesn't have to cover the blood. Like, what, what happens if they apply the blood to the guy, and then by the time they're back to the oil, the blood is not there anymore. Blood wiped off. It's fine. Same spot. That's it. Okay, that's it. All right, so what's the moral of the story? I, think I feel like I'm gonna stick with my moral today. The moral of my story is, don't gossip. Don't hurt the other person. And then you won't have to worry about all this stuff. What's easier? To like, you know, violate someone through words and gossip and negativity and slander and all that stuff and then have to undergo this entire ordeal? Or no one gets hurt, right? No one gets hurt, it sounds like a threat. No one gets hurt. No, but I mean, and no one gets hurt. Like no one, not the person that we gossiped, not the person that was listening, not the person that it was about, not the person who did it to go be banished, to have to bring animals and all these offerings. That's it. As far as the connection between the Kohen and the Mitsorah, maybe what we're saying is that God is truly, sorry, let me, let me explain what I'm about to say. Uh, let me set up the context. I said before that a Kohen, when a Kohen is inaugurated, that's when the blood was applied to their ear, thumb, and toe. And I said, it's interesting that the Mitzvah also has a similar ritual. And we might wonder why. Perhaps, and this is not coming from a source, so this is just something that I've been thinking about as this class has been going on, perhaps, perchance. The message here is that God embraces the person having gone through this process. God embraces fully and openly, like God embraces the kohen, like God embraces the holy priest. That right, a kohen, a priest that comes from you know a good family and trained and and a virtuous person. And God says to be initiated in in this right or in this in this group, this is the protocol. The mitzvah is being told. You're also being readmitted into the group. Yes, you're not a kohen. True. But you're being readmitted to the group, and God welcomes you back, and so you have a similar protocol, similar ritual as the as the Kohen himself. It's not like, all right, fine, we'll take you back. Don't do it again, you know. Like, and you're with a with a with a negative mark, but rather embraced with open arms. And maybe just maybe it's a message for us, you know. One of the one of the the the, the harsh realities of our society here in the U.S is that when people get out of prison, it's really hard to resume regular life. It's really hard to get a job. It's really hard to be trusted again. And people speak of recidivism rates and all that stuff. And, but part of that we know through research is because people that get out of jail, get out of prison, are typically not afforded those opportunities, um, the opportunities to succeed. And thus sometimes, not to justify, but sometimes it's falling back into the, 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 the old patterns including the crime, is really the only path that is still open because all the other typical societal paths, I don't want to speak all or you know nothing because it's, you know, nothing is so black and white, but oftentimes other options are a little bit harder to, to find. And so the path of least resistance for many is the, path, the door that's still open. And that's unfortunate. Maybe the message here is that when somebody does their time, if we can say that with them Mitzvah, so, I think literally he did his time or she did his, she did her time, you know banished outside the camp. I mean this is kind of the yeah, so when a person after a person does their time, they're brought in like a coin, same ritual as a coin. and I think that's a powerful thing we should We should be welcoming. Now the person might ask, "Oh, what I means I should hire someone who has a criminal background and whatever i should what if I'm concerned? Yeah. Okay, so you gotta, you got to take uh, sensible precautions. But there should be options open. We had a class, I think uh, some of you participated in Crime and Consequence. It was a course, a JLI course. We spoke about this in one of the sessions. And I mentioned in that class how Israel does it. Israel has a criminal database that only is open to certain vocations, certain crime. If you're running somebody's name in the criminal database for employment, right? Sorry, if you're running, if somebody applies for a job and you're the employer and you run their name, you don't get all of their criminal history. The database is careful to only show um, you know, for certain certain number of years or whatever it is. That there are certain restrictions about who can see what and what information is deemed relevant because we shouldn't punish people beyond the punishment. And I think that's the message here. When the punishment is done, when the consequences are, are, are wrapped up, there shouldn't be residual stuff that just that, that the person can't shake even when they've, done, when they've done their time. I think that's the message that I would take from this, which means essentially we should give people a second chance. Reasonably, cautiously, but it's a good thing to believe in the power of redemption. After all, isn't that the holiday that we're about to celebrate? The holiday of redemption. So we should give people a, the chance. Chance to get out, and to resume their lives. All right. Good to see you all. I, I, don't, I don't want to double down on this, but Passover is kind of like that, right? We got out of jail. Yes, we weren't like guilty of anything, but we got out. God gave us a Torah, put us up on our feet, and said, go for it. And what do we do? Well, we brought the golden calf. But then we did all this other good stuff, and, you know, story has a, a, a happy ending. All right. Thank you for joining, Ray. As always, great to see you. So glad that you're on. Joy and Donna and Sarah, great to have you. I was about to say welcome, but we we did that about an hour ago. Great to have you here and great to, as always, to study and schmooze together. All right. Tonight, quick scheduling announcement. We have lesson number five of You Be the Judge. It's all about labor law, laws regarding the workforce. Um, including questions like who is an employee and who is an independent contractor? The IRS wants to know. No, but it also is relevant in halakha in various contexts. Do we work for ourselves? Do we work for others? And what does it all mean spiritually? So I it's like be a- the way
1: you said in your email that some of us end up, you know, want to just pursue the independent independent business like I'm doing because
0: know. yeah because sometimes it's hard to you know it's, it's everything has cycles and we're gonna be dealing with very very fascinating cases of labor law both in US courts and the Jewish courts okay so that's coming up tonight and of course as always check your local listings I sent out an email earlier, earlier today about a wine and cheese event post Pesach wine and cheese just in you case Yep, that was me. Be there or Brie Square. Brie, as in the cheese. I know I know what you're thinking. That joke is so cheesy, but yeah. Oh, no,
1: that was cute. No,
0: that was a joke also. That was, it, it, it keeps on going. I could tell jokes till I'm blue in the face, but I won't. That was also a joke. Blue cheese. All right, friends, we'll see you all. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Thanks.